is an old story that uh, I sometimes tell uh, about a, an, an old man. He is lying on his deathbed, close to death. And all of a sudden downstairs, he smells the wonderful aroma of his wife baking chocolate chip cookies, fresh chocolate chip cookies. And so he manages to crawl out of bed, crawls downstairs, crawls across the kitchen floor, and he sees where the cookies are on the counter, and he reaches his hand up to grab one last chocolate chip cookie, and all of a sudden he feels the smack of a spatula on his hand. And his wife says, no, they're for the funeral. It's a terrible story, but I love it so much. (laughs) We're going to talk about conflict. I'm not sure what that had to do with conflict, but we're going to talk about conflict this morning. Um, Over the years, in my uh, personal life, I've become experienced in conflict. Um, Sometimes the conflict has revolved around uh, my bad decisions, uh, my poor behavior, or perhaps my insensitive words. Sometimes the conflict has revolved around the other person's poor behavior or the other person's insensitive words. Sometimes it's a combination of the two. And as a pastor, I've also become accustomed to dealing with conflict. Not everyone loves the decisions that I make. Uh, Not everyone is thrilled with certain changes that happen in church. And often I'm brought into conflict, into people's personal situations, where I act as a listening ear or counselor. And not everybody loves the way I react or the decisions or the counsel that I give. So I have become accustomed to conflict over the years. I was remembering one one day uh, a lady, she marched into my office. And uh, she was upset and she demanded an appointment with me. And uh, she said that she was not receiving enough pastoral visits from me. Uh, She talked about how my sermons were too long and she just went on and on and on. And she demanded an appointment with me, and I looked at my schedule, and I knew I had a busy day. And so I just looked at her, and I said, sweetie, can we just talk about this when I get home? You know, uh, so. I, I ran that by her before I said that, so just so you know that that didn't happen. You know, sometimes uh, the root of conflict is things that I just did like that, you know. But uh, sometimes the root of conflict in relationships is, is really about poor choices or poor behavior or poorly chosen words. And we all, we all know that. But other times it's not necessarily because of poor choices. It's not necessarily because of sin issues. Sometimes it's simply because we're different. You ever notice that? We think differently. We want different things. We do things differently. Uh, There's a book that I've been reading, um, and it'll be on the screen here. Uh, It's by John Ortberg. It's called, I'd Like You More If You Were More Like Me. And uh, it's a great book. It's on uh, intimacy in relationships. But isn't that true? Because sometimes we think, well, why doesn't this person just think more like me? I mean, it's perfectly logical the way I'm thinking. I wish they would think the way I think. Or I wish they would do things the way I would do things. And we tend to think about that. But as much as I hate to admit it, um, a world filled with Jeremy Cooks just would not be a good thing, okay? Our differences are not bad things. They're good things. They bring variety. Our differences are things to be celebrated. But sometimes our differences lead to 
excuse me, lead to some sort of conflict. And conflict, I would suggest, is often, often, not all the times, but often a natural outworking of close and connected relationships with people who think and act and behave differently than we do. Uh, There's a story in the Bible that some of you will be familiar with, and it's one of those stories where I wish more was written around it. I wish we were given more details uh, about what the actual conversation was like and how it was followed up. But it's a story about Paul and Barnabas. And so let me just very quickly walk you through this story. Uh, Paul, as some of you know, Paul was... He used to be called Saul before he came to faith in Christ. And Paul was a persecutor of the church. Just He wanted to stomp out Christianity. He had Christians killed. He had Christians dragged off and put in prison. And he was feared among the Christian community. But one day, Saul, as he was on his way to Damascus, he encountered Jesus. And his life was totally and radically changed. And he committed his life to Jesus. And so slowly he was integrated into the Christian church. And you can imagine that 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 would have been a very difficult integration for some Christians to make. In fact, we're told in the scriptures that some of the Christians, as Paul began to enter their meetings, some of the Christians were fearful, and they didn't trust that he had actually become a Christian. They were suspicious of him. And as he tried to uh, become part of the believers in Jerusalem, he met this reaction. But there was a guy named Barnabas whose name means son of encouragement. And Barnabas was the one who went to bat for Paul, and he took Paul, and he introduced Paul to the apostles, and he helped Paul integrate into the life of the church, and he helped others begin to trust Paul. Paul and Barnabas struck up a very close relationship, personal relationship, but also, more importantly, a ministry relationship, where they ministered all over uh, Asia Minor together. They, uh, They ministered for quite some time in a city called Antioch, And uh, they preached together, they uh, did ministry together, they healed the sick together, did all sorts of things together in Jesus' name. And then they went on a missionary tour together. They went to different cities and planted churches and taught believers and evangelized, all of these things. But then all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 15, this is what we read. It says this, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they were doing. <clears throat> Bar- <clears throat> excuse me. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So they have this disagreement. We're not told what was said. We're not told the context of that conversation. All we're told is that these two men who loved God with all their hearts and who loved people, they were both followers of Jesus. They have this sharp disagreement that leads to the parting of ways. Sometimes that happens in our relationship where conflict comes up. Sometimes it's sin issues, but sometimes it's just a result of our differences. And so the question is, how do we deal with that kind of conflict in our lives? As it turns out, in the scriptures, we find out that Paul and Barnabas were later reunited, and actually Paul came to trust Mark and to do ministry with him. But in this moment, they had conflict, and we're not exactly sure how they dealt with it, but sometimes that's just a natural outworking of relationships with one another. God's deep desire for us 
is to be ruthlessly committed to cultivating healthy relationships with one another. And the more I read the Bible, the more I realize that at the very heart of learning to love God with all of our heart, mind, and strength is learning to be a people who love one another well. And in order for us to be a people who learn to love one another well, we need to learn how to do conflict well with one another. In order to learn to love one another well, we cannot do that if we are not committed to growing in emotional maturity. Uh, Peter Scazzaro, in a book uh, entitled Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he notes some differences between emotionally, uh, between emotional infants or children and emotional adults. And so let me just put uh, these on the screen. I'm going to quickly read through them. Emotional infants or children, they look for others to take care of them. They have great difficulty entering into the world of others. They are driven by a need for instant gratification. They are content and happy as long as they receive what they want. They interpret disagreements as personal offenses. They complain, withdraw, manipulate, take advantage, become sarcastic when they don't get their way. They have great difficulty calmly discussing their needs and wants in a mature, loving way. You contrast that with what he calls emotional adults who are able to ask for what they need, want, or prefer clearly, directly, and honestly. They recognize and manage and take responsibility for their own thoughts and feelings. Respect others without having to change them. That's a huge one. They give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect. Are deeply in tune with their own emotional world and able to enter into the feelings, needs, and concerns of others without losing themselves. And have a capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspective of others and not only themselves. Now, I wish that as I look at my life, that I could check off all of those boxes of an emotionally mature adult. But the truth is, is that I can't. I'm still growing in my emotional adulthood, if you will. Um, Scott Peck, who is an author, he wrote this. He says, we are all born narcissists. Learning to grow out of our narcissism is at the heart of the spiritual journey. Okay? Learning to grow out of our narcissism is at the heart of the spiritual journey. Friends, growing up physically is an automatic. Growing up emotionally is not. Those are choices that we have to make. Hard choices sometimes in our relationship with other people. Dealing with conflict in a way that is healthy and becoming emotionally mature means that we learn to address conflict not simply from the perspective of what I want or from the perspective of what I need. It means that we put aside sometimes our own desires for instant gratification and we consider others as well. So what I'd like to do for the rest of the time that I have remaining is talk about how we can move towards emotional adulthood. That is, how we can move towards doing relationships with one another in a healthy way. And that includes doing conflict with one another in a healthy way. And I just want to just a couple of points here before I get into uh, some of those ways. First of all, I'm not going to say everything that needs to be said or even should be said about dealing with conflict. I can't do that in the time that I have. I want to say a few things about how we deal with conflict, specifically one-on-one -on -one with each other. But there may be times where one-on-one -on -one is not enough, where outside help is needed, where we need to bring in a third party, we need to bring in some mediation into a relationship. Sometimes that is necessary. I'm not going to address that this morning. The other thing that I wanted to say is that 
as we talk about, uh, I'm going to make some points about, I'm going to talk about a lot of different things. I want to say that not all of what I say this morning is for you, particularly. Because I'm going to say a number of different things. But what I, what I would like to say is that there's probably one thing that is for you. And as we listen this morning, I want you to listen for that one thing that God needs to say to you this morning. Not ten things, but what is one thing, one way that God is calling you into emotional maturity, that is, to deal with conflict in a healthy way. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says this, In your anger, do not sin. It's an interesting verse. It assumes that we will be angry sometimes. I think there's the assumption there that it is not sinful necessarily to feel anger or the emotion of anger. It's what we do with that anger. It's what we do with the conflict in our life that is most important and how we handle that conflict. So how do we deal with conflict? How do we even deal with the emotion of anger and not enter into sin? Someone once said, conflict is inevitable, combat is optional. Conflict is inevitable, combat is optional. So let's jump in and just talk about some things. And by the way, this is not... The points that I'm going to make, this isn't popular psychology. This isn't Jeremy's, you know, uh, wisdom that I'm sharing with you. This is straight from the Word of God. These are things that the Word of God talks about over and over and over again when it comes to our relationship with one another. The first thing is that we need to keep watch over our heart. Another way that I want to talk about it this morning is say that we need to be willing to look into the mirror of our lives. We need to be willing to look into the mirror, watch over our hearts. What I mean by that is uh, Jim Collins, who's a, a leadership author and speaker, I heard him speaking at a conference once, and he said the first job of a leader is to look into the mirror and not at the window. The first job of a leader, and I would say the first job of all of us in our relationships, when it comes to conflict, is to look into the mirror and not at the window. What he meant is this. Our tendency is to look out the window at other people. What we think other people are doing wrong. Who holds the responsibility? What they have done. But he says the first job is to look into the mirror and to ask ourselves some honest questions. We look into the mirror before we look through the window. We ask ourselves some questions, and this requires, first of all, for us to stop. And this is sometimes the most difficult thing we can do. Because our knee-jerk reaction for some of us is just to jump in and start speaking. But the first thing we need to do is to see God stop and just stop. Take a breath and ask ourselves some questions. Questions like this. Why am I angry? It may seem like a silly question, but really, why are you angry? What do you want in this situation? What do you really want? Do you want to be right? Do you want to resolve? relationship and conflict? What do you want in this situation? Another question is, is there something that I'm assuming about the other person that I'm assuming they're thinking or I'm assuming that they've done, but I actually haven't talked to them about it, and it may not be true. Is there something I'm assuming about that other person? Is there something that I'm not taking responsibility for in this situation? We need to stop and we need to look into the mirror And we need to ask ourselves some questions. And even more importantly than asking ourselves some questions is asking the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And friends, if you only do one thing or only take one thing away, take this away, we need to stop 
And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. We need to ask the Holy Spirit, as David wrote in Psalm 139, to search us. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. The first step is that we stop and we watch our hearts. We look into our hearts first. Second thing that the scripture talks about often is, and James puts it this way, is that we are to be quick to listen and slow to speak. We are to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And for many of us here, this is not the natural thing to do. For some of us here this morning, and you know who you are, the natural thing for you to do is to draw your gun and to shoot first and to ask questions later, right? But James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Or as Stephen Covey put it, uh, seek first to understand and then be understood. Seek first to understand and then be understood. And when we do that, it often, I, in my experiences, it often moves the conversation to a totally different place than if we didn't do that. It often sets the, con- the conversation in a totally different direction and trajectory than if we went with guns a-blazing and just told them what was on our heart and how we really felt and how you know we think we're right. James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And my experience, again, is that when we move into a conversation and we say, you know what, this is how I'm feeling, but ask some questions and listen first, that it moves that conversation to a tenderness, to a specific place that would not be possible if we did not do that. So if you have a friend, for example, and you're in a friendship and you feel like this friendship is not what it used to be, and you feel perhaps that this friend of yours is pulling away, and they're not spending time with you like they used to, and you just feel distant and you feel hurt, and maybe you even feel angry, but you haven't talked to your friend about it. And how do you deal with that? Well, first of all, you go and you talk to your friend. But again, the first thing that we need to do is we ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. And then we go to our friend and we say, I'm feeling, I'm sensing that our relationship has changed. And this is what I'm sensing, but how are you feeling? Tell me how you feel about this. Tell me what you think is going on in our relationship. And then we take time and we listen. And again, it opens up the conversation. When we listen, we give opportunity for some things that perhaps we've been assuming are true to perhaps be corrected. And when we listen, we also give the opportunity for someone else to apologize or express remorse, something that probably wouldn't happen if we first simply unloaded on the person with how we're feeling. And when we listen, friends, we need to truly listen. This is something that I do often when I'm in conversation with people. If it's a conflict situation, or just generally in conversation, but specifically in a conflict situation, as the person is talking to me, I am listening, but I'm listening with the help of the Holy Spirit. I am constantly breathing prayers to the Holy Spirit, saying, Holy Spirit, would you open up my ears? Help me to hear what I need to hear in this conversation. Spirit, I need your help. And I do this a lot, and we need to do this. We need to listen well, because sometimes when we're listening, we're not really listening. We're simply lining up what we want to say after the person is done speaking. But we need the Spirit's help in our life to actually listen to people so that we're humble enough to receive 
we're humble enough to actually be corrected if that is what is needed. And we're humble enough to learn more about this, uh, what's going on in the relationship. So first, we look in the mirror and we watch our own hearts. Second, we are quick to listen and slow to speak. Third, the scripture says <clears throat> that we are to speak the truth in love. That we are speak, to speak truth to one another in love. For some people, speaking truth in a relationship and telling people how you are really feeling, uh, perhaps bringing up the elephant in the room, or confronting something that's wrong in the relationship, or even wrong about the other person's behavior. For some people, that's easier to do than it is for others. For many people, ignoring conflict, ignoring the elephant in the room, seems to be a whole lot easier than dealing with the issue head on. But here's the thing. When we avoid conflict, when we dodge difficult conversations, and I've done this in my life, but when we dodge difficult conversations and ignore the elephant in the room, yes, we may avoid short-term discomfort, but we are asking for long-term pain in the relationship. When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, avoiding conflict was not what he was talking about. Okay? Because sometimes, in order for there to be true peace, sometimes we first need to engage in conflict in order for there to be true peace. And this is why Jesus is constantly, constantly telling people in the scriptures, go to that person. If someone has sinned against you, go to them. If there's something broken in the relationship, go to them and deal with it. Don't ignore the issue. Talk to them. Don't gossip about it with friends. Go to the source. Have the conversation. We may feel like um, we are keeping the peace by not bringing it up, but that's really false peace. Peter Scazzaro, he writes this, true peace. True peacemakers are willing to disrupt false peace. True peacemakers are willing to disrupt false peace by speaking truth in love. So when we speak the truth in love with one another and sometimes have difficult conversations and direct and honest conversations, we are to do this. And we are to be honest with one another, but we are also to be full of grace and kindness and love. We need to be honest and direct but speaking the truth in love means that there should be a marked kindness and respect to our words. And we have to ask ourselves when we're entering into that kind of conversation, what do you want? What do you want out of this conversation? Do you want to be right? Do you want to just unload your point of view on the person? Is that what you want? And if that's what you want, you can go ahead and do that, and you can go ahead and blast away. It may feel better for a moment, but I guarantee you it will not feel good in the long run. It will do nothing to resolve the turmoil in the relationship. It will do nothing to resolve the turmoil in your heart. We need to speak truth to one another and be courageous enough to do that and to confront things that are happening in our relationships. But we need to do so with love and humility. I was thinking this, story, uh, this week about the story in John chapter 8. And it's a story that many of you know well. It's a story of Jesus and a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery is brought to Jesus. And she's brought to him, dragged out there in front of everyone. She's humiliated in front of everyone. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are trying to set a trap for Jesus. And they say, Jesus, what should be done with this woman? She was caught uh, committing adultery. And they're ready to pick up stones. In fact, they do pick up stones. They're ready to stone her. And Jesus, at the end of the story, he says, let him who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then slowly, the text says, the older ones first, one by one, they drop their rocks 
and they went away. And Jesus looks at the woman. He says, woman, where are they? Does anyone condemn you? And she says, no one. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. And I bring that story up to say that in our conversations with people, as we deal with conflict, there needs to be a marked humility in our conversation. There needs to be that aspect of, look, I don't have everything together in my life. I'm not perfect. And so if I come at you in an arrogant way, I'm just coming at you with my rocks and throwing my rocks. And Jesus is asking us to first look in the mirror and recognize we often have a part to play. That we are not perfect ourselves and we need to come into a conversation with that kind of humility. It doesn't mean we don't address issues, but we need to come into those conversations with humility. We want to say, I want to approach this conversation with honesty, but not with rocks. So we're to go to our brother, we're to not let the sun go down on our anger, we're to deal with issues and not let them affect us. We are to, as John Ortberg says, we are to repair small ruptures that happen in our relationships over time, not leaving them so that they're giant issues uh, after two years. And have you ever noticed, friends, that this is a lot of work? That having healthy relationships with one another is a lot of work. And it's really tempting not to do this. But Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he says this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of faith. Every effort. And sometimes it takes a lot of effort. And sometimes it takes a lot of effort. It's the last point. First of all, we're to look in the mirror and be honest about our hearts. Secondly, we are to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Thirdly, we are to speak the truth, but we are to do so in love, with humility. And the last thing I want to say to us as I close, we are to forgive, and we are to ask for forgiveness. We are to forgive, and we are to ask for forgiveness. A few years ago, uh, I said something to someone in my life that was insensitive, and it was really coming out of my own anxiety and out of my own just inability to deal with the situation. And I said something, and I didn't mean it to be hurtful, but it ended up being hurtful to this person. And I had to go to this person uh, later and just say, I'm really, really sorry. And please forgive me for what I said. And they extended grace and they extended forgiveness to me. But I've had to do that many, many times in my life because sometimes my mouth gets ahead of me. And sometimes I'm always sensitive as I should be. And the only way that our relationships with one another will be healed and will be restored is if we are a community who are 100% committed to forgiving one another and asking forgiveness of one another. Friends, forgiveness is the currency of relationships. And as believers, we are to extend this currency of forgiveness with great extravagance. There's something in uh, the New Testament that Paul writes when he talks about relationships and he talks about forgiving one another and he talks about anger. And then he says this, he says, don't let Satan get a foot in your life. And it's all about relationships and it's all about this issue of conflict and forgiveness and anger and how we deal with it. Because the truth of the matter is that Satan is constantly laying traps for us in the church. And one of his biggest traps for us in the church is that we would be a people 
who, when we get hurt by other people, we move to a place of bitterness, and we move to a place of gossip, and we move to a place of harboring anger against one another, instead of spending the currency of forgiveness with one another. And if we do that, Satan is a crippled man. And we move away from people who are being led by the Spirit to people who are being more and more influenced by what the evil one wants of us. And Paul says, don't let that happen. And that's why he says, be quick to forgive. Be quick to deal with problems in your relationship. Be quick to deal with your anger in a way where you are not sinning. This is how much it matters in our lives and in our relationships. If we harbor bitterness and harbor forgiveness and harbor people, harbor uh, wrongdoing that has been done against us, and we refuse to forgive, someone once said, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. Because really what we're doing is killing ourselves. We're killing our own hearts. Here's how I want to close this morning. I want to pray for you. And I want to say to us this morning that even though I, I've said all of these things, and all of these things are necessary for us to work with, these are things that you can do. But the fact of the matter is, and you know this well, is that you cannot control how the other person is. Scriptures say this, that as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. And so Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. As far as it depends on you, do that. Do what you need to do. Make every effort. Work hard at it. But the fact of the matter is, is that you can forgive someone, you can deal with your own heart, but reconciliation takes two people. And there are some of you here this morning and you've done these things that I've talked about. At least you've done them to the best of your ability. And you are relying on the Holy Spirit in this relationship that is hurt, that is broken. But the other person in the relationship, they're not willing. And there's nothing that you can do about it. You can't force reconciliation to happen. You can't force that repair to happen. It's something that only God can do in that person's life, and that person needs to be willing to do that. And sometimes when that is the case, and if you're here this morning and you're in that situation, it leaves all sorts of hurt in our hearts. It leaves hearts that are wounded and hearts that are broken and hearts where we just get to the place where we like, God, I don't know what to do about this. We want to fix it, but it can't be fixed, at least from our perspective. And I want to pray for you because this is a difficult spot to be in. It's a spot that feels very helpless. And so I just want to ask that you would bow your heads in prayer. And I want to just pray for God's peace and his wisdom to rest on you.